Hey, welcome everybody. Uh, my name is Brad. I'm glad that you're here. If you have a Bible, let's get going. John chapter 15 is where we are going to launch from today. In fact, we're going to settle down in John 15 and work our way through about 17 verses there. Today we're starting a new series of messages that we are entitling Grow, A Journey Towards Christlikeness. And what we're attempting to do is to really settle on and examine and unpack this idea of what it is to grow in Christ. I think that if we're honest, one thing that we're not good at in the church and in Crosspoint is discipleship. How do we how do we grow? I think we explain the eternal aspects of the gospel well, but I think that one of the challenges we have in Christian culture is, okay, how does this work itself out in life? And now how do I as a person actually begin on this process to become the person that Christ has called me to be. We, we, we just want to throw out, you know, trite answers and, you know, well, come to church and read your Bible and, and, then, and then beyond that, it's kind of like cue up the cricket chirping soundtrack because a lot of times we don't have a lot of good answers. And, and um, today we're going to begin a series of messages where we, where we really want to try and peel that back. Now, I do not, I did not buy this off the internet. There's no book other than the Bible that I'm, you know, that has seven answers. I mean, if I really had the, the complete package of this answer and I was just unloading it on you now, four years into this gig, I think you should all charge this stage and beat me and say, why didn't you tell us earlier? But what we're going to do is we're going to peel back some things. And, uh, and so here's my goal. My goal is for us to to more than just come and hear some provocative thoughts or messages about what spiritual growth is, for us to really lean forward as a group and as individuals. And my goal is to, to encourage and to motivate and to inspire and to provoke and to convict us towards taking personal responsibility to, to grow in Christ, to become the people that God has intended us to be. See, there's this process that's going on in each one of our lives if we're Christians. And it's in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Don't flip there, but we're going to throw it up on the screen. And this is what this verse says. It is, there's a lot that this verse says, but there's one particular thing that it says that applies very much to what we're doing today. He says, and this is speaking of God, about his relationship with the Christian. He says, for those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What this verse is saying is that if you're a Christian, it's saying a lot that we don't have time to unpack today. But what it's saying is that if you're a Christian, God has predestined you to go through this process of transformation and 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 conformity so that you would come out in the end looking like Jesus. That is, that is, that's breathtaking. And so we're going to begin uh, this process today. So if you've got a Bible, John 15 is where we're going to be. We're going to work our way through the first 17 verses. We're going to settle down along the way, make some points. I think this message is kind of a, a launching pad, sort of an overarching message. And then for the next several weeks, I have, have, I'm not really sure how long this is going to go, three, four, five, six weeks. We're going to each week take a look at a passage of Scripture that deals with a topic of spiritual growth. And so today we're launching off of kind of this overarching message of what does it look like to grow and what is the mandate? What's the command about growing? And so um, that's where we're going to be today. So John 15. Uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read all the way through. 
And then I'm going to go back and comment on it. And after I read, I'm going to pray. So John 15, verse 1 says this. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does, does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Verse 16, listen to this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Well, let's pray. Oh, <clears throat> Father, we come to you now with a tremendous amount of humility and confession that we uh, we're good at doing church and playing some songs and teaching messages and organizing events and printing bulletins and coming up with programs. But if we're honest with you and ourselves, we are very often pretty pathetic at pursuing Christ-likeness, really, from the inside out. And so, God, we come to you with humility, and we come to you realizing that we are distracted people. We are antsy, nervous, itchy, quick. We're an inch deep and a mile wide. We are busier than any generation in our country. We are stretched thin. We, our hearts are tugged in a million different directions. And so it seems, at least in my life, like I have to come to you today and just sort of shake my head a little bit because of the, just the pace of life and the struggles of modern day living. 
And so, God, we come to you realizing that we almost need you just to deprogram us and just control, alt, delete our hearts and our minds and restart. And then, God, as we come, we pray that as we come in humility that you would give us a, an earnestness and a passion. God, we, I, we can come up with all sorts of cute and clever things to talk about and preach about and four little steps that we can leave this room with and books that we can read and you know, things that start with the same letter to help us remember it and all these sorts of devices. To, but God, it, it will all fizzle out three or four weeks from now apart from you by your Holy Spirit coming in and infusing us with passion for growth in Christ. So God, would you hit us now with power and with precision? And would you help me communicate well in as much as it would be helpful to these people that I love very much? And would you let Jesus be exalted? And God, I know that we're not doing this in a vacuum. There's an enemy who wants to steal and kill and destroy and divert and distract and discourage. And would you... Would you, by your gracious, powerful Holy Spirit, block his lies off from our hearts as we contemplate this scripture? And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's five things that I, I want to point out from the scripture, and then I want to settle down on what Jesus' command is. So we're going to go back through this verse in John 15. The first thing that I think jumps out to me is uh, verse 2 that says, Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, if we just settle down for a second and think about this verse, it, it communicates one thing very prominently, and that is, is that God is, he is utterly, utterly serious about our spiritual lives and our growth. I mean, he is devastatingly serious. Now, we could, we could spend a lot of time unpacking this verse, but... But it seems like what Jesus is saying very clearly here is that, is that those of us that do not bear fruit, those of us that are not growing in Christ, those of us that are not pursuing Him, are proving ourselves eventually, and He says it about midway through this passage that we read, we're proving ourselves that we're really not true disciples. And, and look, this is, this is a wildly unpopular thing for pastors to say because we live in a culture where pastors want everybody to come and everybody, you know, to, to pack the house out so that we can have big churches and so that we can go to pastors meetings and we can ask each other, so brother, how many are you running? And then, you know, we just silly little stuff and so we can put statistics up on our little websites and so we can send in reports to our denom. So a bunch of people come, like as if success is people coming. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that this scripture tells us something that's really unpopular, and that's this, is that, is that there is no category. And this is, let me, let me, before I say this, this is not some guy who's got this figured out, who's saying to a bunch of people, yeah, you know, like, like, you know, like, like my little seven-year-old, now eight-year-old son does to my, his older brother, like when he's taunting him, he kind of gives him the little, you know, like that, and, and he backs up. It, it, look. This, is, this arrow is pointed at me, and it is this. It is that there's no such thing in the New Testament as a Christian who is not bearing fruit. It doesn't exist. If 
Let me put it this way. Let me just say it this way. If you are truly a Christian, to some degree, to some degree. Now remember the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. It says that this, this seed hits the good soil and it grows and it becomes a Christian and it bears fruit 30, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. To some degree, there will be evidence. And what I mean by fruit is not that you have like, you know, started an orphanage in, in some third world country, or, you know, you've got, you know, you've got the knots in your belt, like, I've witnessed to ten guys, and I've got, you know, ten salvations to my name. How many of you prayed with, brother? I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, this, I'm talking about evidence of Christ's likeness in your life. It, the, what this verse is saying to us very clearly is, is that where there is no evidence of Christ's likeness, there is no Christ. There's no salvation. And we need to know that, and we need to feel the gravity of that, and every person in this room needs to, needs to examine that in their own life. That's, that's point number one. He goes on and he says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. The second point there is that, is that, the only way that we can grow is to abide in Jesus. Now, um, this is hard because here's what we could do: um, we could we could settle on the word abide, and um, we could say, okay, now here's what you do to grow in Christ: you abide in Jesus, abide in Jesus, abide in Jesus. You got that? Okay. These are three little ways that you abide in Jesus. You know, you do your little uh, your little uh, combination. Like you read your word for 15 minutes a day, and then get it get together, and and then you know. All right, you ready? Are you guys ready to abide? Okay, put hands in the middle. One, two, three, break. Okay, go abide. And they were like, okay, but how do you do that? How do you do that? I'm not real sure. <laughs> And if that lowers your confidence about this church, well, I'm sorry. Um, that's just the way it is. We have got to figure that out. What does it mean to abide? See, I looked up the, that word in this dictionary that I have that helps you understand what Greek words mean in English. And it just gives you a bunch of synonyms for abide, remain, stay in, endure, stick to, hold fast. And so part of what we're going to be doing over the course of the next three, four, five weeks is we're just going to be, we're going to be wrestling with this word abide. Like what does it mean to stick in Jesus? What does it mean to remain in Him? What does it mean to dwell in him what does it mean to stick close to him so that we would inevitably bear fruit and become more like him we we're going to settle on that thing but here's what we got to know is that the only way we can grow is to abide in jesus i think there's three things that um are are, are necessities of abiding in jesus i think you gotta i think you you gotta be familiar with your bible, your bible. we're going to talk about that i think you got to understand the the intimacy of the Holy Spirit, that He lives in you, that He works through you, that He you have this relationship with, with the Spirit of God that dwells in you, that guides you. And I think that the third essential is that you've got to live in community with people. You've got to, you got to rub shoulders with people who are along this same struggle. But point number two is, is that the only way we grow is to abide in Jesus. Let's keep going. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's point number three is we need to abide in him because 
Because apart from Christ, we, we can do nothing. And this is, I mean, you're like, oh, thanks, Brad. That, did, that, did that take you all week to come up with that point? Because it's right there. I mean, it's pretty simple. I could have done that. You pay me to preach. I mean, I don't know. Look, we got we to gotta work on this one a little bit. This is hard. Um, we are the most self-reliant, quick-fix, microwave culture. It, I mean, we, we just... Instant, we are so self-reliant. I mean, it is, it is unbelievable how, how quickly and how easily frustrated we get when, when, when things get hard. I mean, do we not? I mean, I, you're talking to a guy who's, when, when Mediacom goes out at his house, he is, I mean, he, I am storming around. Who? The nerve? I mean, what? Why can't I get knowledge in this neighborhood? I mean, I'm getting, Jennifer, what is, I mean, our internet was down for like on the grand spectrum of our lifetime, like for about 45 seconds. And me and Jennifer are looking at each other like, come, what is this? This is ridiculous. I mean, we, and we are so programmed as modern Americans and, and we have become kind of helpless apart from, I mean, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home today. And I want you to try and cook a meal without a microwave and salad in a bag. They sell salad in a bag. I mean, we, we, we just, everything's boom right now. And so we are so utterly self-reliant that it is so difficult for us to even understand what it is to cling to God because we cling to so many other things, man. We got stuff. We got gear. We got websites. We got computers. We got... We got stuff. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And um, I just, there's just, look, I do not feel this futility. I do not feel this futility. There are, there are churches, we have a team from Crosspoint going to China this summer and the end of July and August to teach English and to minister to children there. And the church is exploding in China and there are parts of China where they don't have copies of a Bible and they're working off of like one page from a New Testament letter like James. And that's, that's what they, they work out of one page like James chapter 1. That's what they got. And that's their text. And we, I, I don't, look, I don't have some cute little or clever little phrase other than to just say, God, help us understand how desperately self-reliant we are and how incredibly Difficult that makes our pursuit of spiritual growth. And then, like maybe right now, we just need to say, God, God, would you help us with that? We, I don't need, we are like frogs that are sitting in water that has been set to a slow boil. And we do not even understand the impact of our culture. I mean, we are rugged Americans. We can do it ourselves. We, we are so self-absorbed that we are like frogs sitting in a boiling water that don't even know when to jump out of this self-obsessed culture. And so, God, before we can even grow, would, would you help us repent? I mean, we repent. We confess that we are so utterly self-reliant that it clouds everything that we do, even the way we come to you. And so over the course of the next few weeks, would you illuminate that to us? Would you show us how ridiculously prideful the average American is? 
how incredibly arrogant we are and would you humble us? Would you humble us? God, would you help us realize that truly, I mean truly, we can do nothing apart from you. He goes on and he says, If anyone does not abide in me, Verse 6, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me, and by the way, that word abide in these 17 verses is used 10 times. Abide, abide, abide. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The, The fourth point that jumps out to me as kind of a launching point for spiritual growth is that and all of this is so that we can reflect God's glory. Now, that word glory, if you're like a kid like me that grew up in church, that was, you know, I had, grew up in kind of real traditional church, then I got saved in a, in a more contemporary church. But <laughs> that word glory can be kind of a distant sort of church word. It's like a religious word. Um, I, many of you know I was on staff at Evangel Temple, and there, there's, a, there's this old guy that used to go to, I think he's still there, at Evangel Temple. And whenever I would preach in the sanctuary, he had this old raspy, raspy voice, really great guy. And um, he, every time anybody said anything at all, he would just be in the back of the sanctuary, and he would say, Glory. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, you know, like, and I could say anything. He, he, he kind of, you know, he liked me. And so I would just be struggling in my first sermons there and just be saying some silly stuff. And I could just be saying anything like, you know, you know, open your Bibles to Romans chapter two. Glory. You know, just going, glory, glory. And it was just such a good guy. So encouraging. But, but, uh, I, I think part of one of the consequences of our challenge with number three, that we're so self-sufficient and so, so self-absorbed, is that we, we do not have a, an antenna or a radar up for what our true purpose in life is, which is to glorify God. I mean, everything in our culture is built on you achieving, me getting more stuff, Bigger square footage, more cars, promotion. You know, I mean, just just think about think about the way we treat our our kids in our culture. And is it some sort of kind of sick competitive game between parents? I mean, it is like you know we're running our kids off. And I, and I think on the surface we can say, well, I want my kids to be involved in every thing, but we're just running our kids from thing to thing to thing because God forbid. Johnny or Susie miss out on experience and not be on the traveling team for soccer and have, you know, $40 pads for their legs and be on this team and that team and be involved in this direction. It's just, it's, it, it says more about the, 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 the desire of the parents to have cute little Susie and cute little Johnny. They're just, and, and I got my little, everything's just squared away in my life because we, we are so self-absorbed. I mean, the way we worship stuff, the way we worship children, the way we worship status, it is, it is so indicative of the fact that, that glory, we are so self-glorifying that when we talk about, when I even say that everything in this earth is to glorify God, that we're like, yeah, I know, but what does that look like? Because it is so foreign to our culture. 
Glory. <laughs> Old JC were here right now, he'd be giving me a few. They're like, but think about this. Just let's kind of let's dig into this a little bit. It's, hard, it's, it's like hard for me to even explain this, but think about how how satisfying actually God getting all the glory truly is for the human soul. Because here, I think there's this sort of subconscious notion in our minds that you know, if God gets glory, then somehow or another that's going to be kind of less pleasurable for me. And I actually think that's the inverse of that is actually true. Like, okay, so you're, you know, you, you achieve. And we tend to look at somebody else that's done something and kind of they're receiving the limelight or the status. And you tend to think, oh, if I could just be there, if I could just be like them. And, and all that is is sort of, you know, being a glory thief. You just, I just want that. When you when you get there, then there's a new level of pressure and there's actually a new level of insecurity. Because when you, when you get in this mode where you kind of, it's all about you and like, God, I just, I want, I want, and I want. It, we tend to think that when we get someplace or when our kid makes this or when our kid does this or when we have this, like then, what, when I get to that level, then I will be free from this this desire in me to just constantly pursue. But what you, we could realize if we talk to people who have achieved where we want to be, they, we would realize that their life is actually far more stressful than ours. And so it's like it just, it just grows and it grows and it grows. And what I'm saying is, is that there's actually this freedom that comes in the human soul when we realize that everything in our life is meant to reflect God. So whether, so whether I, I, God has blessed me with a lot of things so that I can glorify Him and give away a lot of things, or whether God has made me struggle through something, regardless whether I am full or whether I am empty, as Paul says in Philippians, everything in my life can work to God's glory. And when we, when we get to that, it's sort of a, it's a freeing moment. It's a freeing moment. I, I am not there by any stretch of the imagination. But God getting all the glory in our lives is actually the most satisfying thing that we can do in our lives. And it is, it is almost impossible for us in this culture and in this way to, to, to realize that on our own unless we're just constantly reminded that, that everything in this world is to reflect God's glory. And like really, our lives as individuals, what they're all about is... Bearing fruit so that God would be glorified. Just think about that for a second. That what's on the line here is me growing in Christ-likeness, which then glorifies God, which is the purpose of my soul and the purpose of the universe. I mean, that is hard for us to wrap our minds around. And as point number five, which I rolled in there, it is the most satisfying and joyful thing that we can do. That we can do. So these five little points from this scripture point us to this command of Jesus. This command of Jesus. And we're going to end on that and then receive communion together. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. There it is again. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, 
Here's here's point five, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I think that there's this lie. Let me go back to point number five there. There's this lie that like discipleship or living for Christ's glory is somehow like less joyful. And I think it's because we've ran this, this really weak... In fact, wrong message in the church that, uh, okay, you, you gotta be a Christian now, you gotta dress up and do it, you know, okay, here's the list of stuff that you can't do, and so you can't do it. I mean, let's take, let's take for example, I don't know if I should do this. Yeah, let's take for example, alcohol. Okay, let's just take for example that one little thing there. It, it, how many, I'm gonna get in trouble, but I'm gonna do this anyway. Like, nowhere in the Bible does it say that you cannot drink. It says don't get drunk. Right? And so we take this and we say, well, being a, a, a true disciple of Jesus, you just got to latch it down. Deny alcohol. You can't do it. Walk the street line. Tuck in your shirt. Comb your hair. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't chew. Don't go out with girls that do. And just walk the straight line. And so here's what we do. Is we <laughs> Glory. And so here's the, here's, the, here's the message we preach to our kids and to our people. Okay. Hey, Johnny. Hell is horrible, isn't it? And if you do these things, you're going to hell and you don't want to go to hell, do you? And little Johnny's like, well, snap, no. <laughs> so little Johnny tucks in his shirt, he combs his hair and... They're like, okay, and, and then we're like, okay, little Johnny, you know, you know what little Christians do that don't go to hell? You know, they don't do these things, right? And, and look, let me, let me stop here and say that, look, Christ, like the law of God is for your joy. It is, there's this law of freedom and love in Christ. And so, so for all of you out there that right now stopped when I said there's no place in the Bible that says you can't drink alcohol, and you're like... Yes, finally. And you're like, no. And you're like, I am, let's go now and go straight to booze package. No, 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 no. Look, there, there's, see, there's a whole bunch of admonitions about just this one particular thing in the Bible, and there are a few of them. And Christ, Christ doesn't want you to drink alcohol in a situation where it might be a stumbling block to other Christians, which in our culture is huge, right? He doesn't ever want you to get drunk. But in certain situations, if you are of age and it is, and by the way, this is not about alcohol, I can't believe I'm getting into this, but if you are of age and it is appropriate and you're not going to be a stumbling block for a Christian or for a non-Christian, you are free in Christ to do that. And he just, it's not that he doesn't want you to enjoy something that he has given you, it's that he doesn't want you to wake up on Saturday morning in the back of an El Camino. But we, 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 we tend to define We tend to define Christianity by some joy-sapping rule. And... And, and so you're saying, well, Brad, I know that. I know you say you've gone over this before. But see, we do it even more sort of clandestinely than that, than this. We tend to, we tend to like beat ourselves up and, and kind of walk this little joyless route like, oh gosh, we're going to be talking about growth and discipleship and, oh. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about like repenting and 
our interactions with one another and it's going to hit some of you hard and it's going to be like, oh. But you've got to realize that behind the difficulty of the pursuit is joy. Like, the, what is at the end of this and what is along the journey is joy. Like, we never talk about it. Is, it is more joyful to you to handle these things that God has put parameters around in the way that God tells you to than to handle them outside of God's parameters. Whether it be alcohol, or whether it be sex, or whether it be language, or whether it be money, or whatever. The way God has for us is the most joyful way, and we, we've got to settle on that. That is just not spoken of enough. That, that it is... That God is for our great joy. And that, that growing in Him should produce in our lives abundant, free, radical, overflowing joy. And that when we do that, God is most glorified in us. And the world sees. And we become more like Christ. And people come to know Him. I mean, it is a beautiful... These truths coalesce in such a beautiful way. Verse 12. This is my commandment, and we need to know this. That you love one another as I have loved you. A greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, And we could sum up everything that he said in the first 16 verses here. These things I command you by saying, number one, abide in my love. Come on, let's do this. Let's dive in as a church. Let's link arms together. Let's take it seriously. Let's make this a priority. Let's give special attention. Let's go. Let's treat this. Look, I know May is coming up and some of you already have your beach trip on your calendar. And so some of you are, you're, you're doing the fake bake at the tanning salon and you're, you're, you're cutting back on sweets and you're doing a few extra sit-ups. Come on. We know. Don't even act like you're not. I know you are. We know how to plan. We know how to give attention to some desired outcome, right? Come on, guys. If you are a dude in here and you see some cute girl, you know if your breath is funky, you know how to brush your teeth, you know how to say, oh, she might be there. Pack a search right there, baby. You're like, hey, boom, hey, what's up, girl? How you doing? <laughs> you know, right? You, we know how to prepare. We know that is, that's an instinct of every human. We know how to prepare. So over these next couple weeks, let's give special attention to the thing that matters most. To the thing that matters most. Our ever-increasing transformation into Christ-likeness. Abide, abide, abide. I command you to abide, he says. And then he tacks on this other commandment that I think is intricately involved in it. He says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. 
look, we, we simply cannot do this without each other. Cannot do it without each other. You cannot do it without the friend who's in this room right now that has been a real source of strength for you. You cannot do it without that irritating person who's part of your life that rubs you the wrong way. They are God's, in this particular sense, they are God's tool to come fashion some Christ-likeness in you. You cannot do it without your husband or your wife. You cannot do it without what God has ordained for you in community. You cannot do it alone. We have got to love one another. We have got to be gracious. We've got to be understanding and compassionate with one another. We've got to create an environment where over the coming weeks we can confess sin to each other, where we can repent with one another, where we can lay down religious faces, where we can actually be real and exude and exert no energy on playing some game and funnel all of our energy towards being real and loving one another. We've got to do that. We've got to do that because what is on the line is our transformation into Christ-likeness, which is, according to these 17 verses, the most important thing for the life of a Christian. For the sake of God's glory and for the sake of our joy. Well, in just a moment, we're going to receive communion. But before I do that, I want to spend a moment of, of extended prayer and contemplation here. And I want us to contemplate. I don't want us to rush into what's next. But I want the Holy Spirit to press on each of us. And for some of you, this may be a little bit uncomfortable. You're like, hurry up, come on, get to the next thing. See, that's evidence of how quickly we rush through and don't give room for the Spirit of God to speak to us. And so um, we're going to pray. And maybe you jot down something in your life that you know God over the next few weeks is going to press on and he's going to, He's going to put his thumb on it and he's going to say, I'm, 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 look, we're going to do business about this thing. Because maybe this whole time you really haven't been able to pay attention because there's just been some conviction about some deal. And, and, and the Spirit of Christ is going to put his finger on that. And we're going to, look, we've got to deal with it. We've got to, we've got to do it. And so we're going to give, give the Holy Spirit some room to put his finger on our heart, and our spirit. Well, guys, come on back. Let's pray. Father, it is, we again confess that it is incredibly difficult for us to even begin to calibrate ourselves and orient ourselves towards the pursuit of Christ's likeness. It's, we're self-absorbed, we're selfish, we're self-committed, overachieving, glory-stealing thieves. We we freak out when our way of life is threatened. But we forget the fact that two-thirds of the rest of the world is living in huts and always in a recession. We're arrogant. We're quick-tempered. We're self-indulgent. We're prideful. 
and we're amazing. We are the we are living in the most selfish culture maybe in the history of civilization. I read an article this last week where it says about America that pornography is like the new smoking. Everybody, just, everybody does it. It's just that's what we do. We fill our minds and our eyes and our hearts up with trash on TV. And then we spend a few minutes with you and we get frustrated when the preacher or the church or the brother or the sister in Christ doesn't give us what we need or when we're offended. We are so overly sensitive. We are so easily offended. We are so quick to move on. We are, God, we are so utterly self-reliant and self-absorbed that we can't even see straight half the time. God, I'm not talking about anybody else. These are all these are all things that have characterized my life at one time or another, or even now. And and if we think that just coming together for four or five weeks and talking about spiritual growth is going to be like some juice card trick that we just throw down, and all of a sudden it's going to be better, then we're crazy. We're crazy. So, God, would you unwind us? Would you convict us? By your gentle and gracious and good spirit, would you, would you press on us? Would you press on us? Would you, like David says in Psalm 39, would you search us and know our hearts and see if there is any wicked way in us and lead us in the way? God, we... We desperately need you. And we take just a few moments before we move on with a song or with communion to listen to you. Put your finger on the obstacles in our life towards growth. Press on it. And Lord, as we gather in just a moment to receive communion, Help us remember a few things. Number one, that these little flakes of bread that we're going to put in our mouths are a powerful symbol of the broken body of Christ that died so that we could 
be made alive again. God, give us a sense of the gravity and the greatness of that moment. And help us remember it. Help it not just be a rote little thing that we do on the first Sunday of the month as a church, but help us remember the cross. Think about the day that God died so that we could live. And then, God, as we take those little cups of juice and drink them, help us examine ourselves. Help us examine. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you're actually in the faith. So God, as we take that juice, let us look at our lives. Press on us. Let us abide. Let us love one another. And specifically, God, let us lay down our life, lives for one another in that moment. If there's some thing that we need to repent of, if there's some friend we need to ask forgiveness of, if there's some splinter in our eye, if there's some thing that is between us and a brother, God, would we, would we quickly go to them and make it right? And then, God, would we, as we come up from this table, would we, as Paul says to the Corinthians, would we proclaim your death? until you come again as we gather around this table and remember and examine what Christ did for us in Jesus name Amen